Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the program this week, Pat Lamb's reign as Blues coach appears to be all but over, but where does the fault lie? We hear from Auckland City as they prepare for the Oceania Champions League football final in Tahiti. We talk to sprint cyclist Eddie Dawkins as he prepares to head off to Europe ahead of the London Olympics. The English netballer Jade Clark tells us why she's enjoying her time with the Northern Mystics. And the skipper of Team New Zealand's round-the-world yacht Camper reflects on the latest leg after arriving in Miami. The biggest indication yet that Pat Lamb's time as coach of the Blues is up has come with the New Zealand Rugby Union announcing this week it will be advertising the role. Lamb's in his fourth Super Rugby campaign as coach of the side but has taken the Blues to the semi-finals just once. They currently sit last in this year's competition having won just one of their ten games. It's been a tough season for Lamb amidst the results and the criticism. He's also been subjected to racist taunts. As the saying goes, there are only two kinds of coaches, those who have been sacked and those who are waiting to be sacked. But Blues skipper Kevin Mealamu says Lamb shouldn't be held responsible. I stand here as a, as a leader of, of the Blues team. From a player's point of view, I'm pretty disappointed. You know, we'll let coach down and we'll fail him. Not through effort, but through um, execution on the field. And probably what makes it, makes it even more tougher that uh, we've left coach in this situation, and which is the last thing we want to do. I know coach is a proud Auckland man, proud Blues man, brought up in this region. And we're disappointed that we haven't been able to look after him on the field. The New Zealand Rugby Union says Lamb can reapply for the role, but the indications are that he won't. Whether we're here next year or we're somewhere else, it's exciting. We're tight as a family. As soon as I say it's exciting, what, what could happen? They all started throwing their suggestions. and I think some started mentioning some countries, and my five-year-old said, you know, what about somewhere like Disneyland or something like that? So <laughs> uh, It's all good. I mean, like I said, for me, true success is that by the time I go and die, I've got my wife, I've got my kids and my grandkids, I'm a successful man. Neil Sorensen's the New Zealand Rugby Union's general manager of professional rugby. Pat's more than um, welcome to uh, apply for, for, for you know, continuing in the coach's role in, in 2013. Basically what we've done is we've just brought forward the, the process. Um, Stephen, we normally undertake a review at the end of the season. In this case, with the extended Super Rugby going through it all, uh, August, and uh, the reviews wouldn't play, take place until September. But if you look at the, the situation with where the Blues have got themselves to, which is right at the bottom of the the, um, uh, the table, uh, the, the key thing was to accelerate the process and, and bring it forward, and, and that's what we've done. If the NZAU, though, was satisfied with his performance, the, the usual practice would be to simply roll over his contract, wouldn't it? Yeah, he's contracted till the end of 2012. Um, so yeah, he would have had a review. And look, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work out that that the no one's um, satisfied with the Blues' progress this year. You know, including Pat. I mean, they're, they're all bitterly disappointed with how it's gone um, on and off the field. What, if any, communication have you had with him? Look, um, you're dealing with quite a, a special guy um, in Pat Lamb. He's he's a um, He's a wonderful character, and, and, I, and I think um, he's shown that to 
all and sundry over the last few months. It's been a very, very difficult time for for Pat, um, as it has been for his teammates and, and, and his family and everyone. And um, uh, look, it's not a it's not a nice situation to be in. Pat's getting plenty of support um, as much as we possibly can. And, and in fact, at times he's probably had um, you could say too many people in and around him. He's um, uh, our support, I suppose, from from an NZAU perspective, is some some high performance support. So we've had. Um, you know, facilitated uh, Graham Henry or Ted in the environment. Also had the the All Black coaches up there as as a matter of course with their franchise visits. We've had Don Tricker, our high performance specialist, up there also dealing with um, dealing you know with the Blues. So we're providing as much possible support as we can. To be to be fair. Did you tell Pat Lamb the job was going to be advertised? Did he have some warning? Oh look, hell yeah, Stephen. He was. Um, Andy and, and Gary Wetton, um, Andy Dalton spoke to Pat in the last couple of days, um, laid out the process they wanted to, to, to put in place. Um, uh, yeah, so, so Pat's been absolutely well communicated with. Will the NZRU now approach other coaches and, and say, listen, here's, you, or maybe shoulder tap them and say, here's a job prospectus for this role? Look, to be fair, we don't, um, we're in a position where we don't really need to shoulder tap. Um, uh, Stephen, the the role will be advertised. Uh, I haven't got the the you know the the dates in front of me, but it will be advertised in the near future, and um, it's it's been made pretty public. And I would imagine that um, that those coaches um, who are available will have a crack at it. We keep in in contact with our overseas coaches all the time, um, even even the likes of uh, Robbie Deans and Warren Gatlin and Vern Cotter and and um, JK and all all our Kiwi coaches we keep in close contact with them. So they'll know now. That, um, what's happened and um, if they want to have a, uh, a crack at it they will. Neil Sorensen says they hope to be able to announce just who'll be coaching the Blues in 2013 by the end of July. Auckland City has a one goal advantage going into the deciding second leg of the Oceania Champions League football final against Tafana in Tahiti but whether that's enough of a lead when it comes to coping with the heat and humidity remains to be seen. Head coach Ramon Tribule told Vinnie Wiley that even though they have a 2-1 lead, they won't be playing defensively. We know it's going to be hot. We're playing a little bit later. We're playing, the kickoff is 4 o'clock. After every game we play up in the islands, we always say that the second half is slightly better because the weather you know, is a little bit cooler. So at this time, you know, kicking off 4 o'clock, we will start in a, you know, in a, hopefully you know, in, the, in a better situation in terms of weather conditions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, apart from that, it's going to be the same old story, you know, very hot, and uh, it, it feels all right until you actually start running and you realise how hot it is uh, and humid. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got... The good thing is that we've been up there in, in the islands, you know, for uh, quite a few times already, and everyone knows what what to expect. So we're going to be we're going to be fine. I mean, we know it's going to be hot because it's not easy to play under those conditions. But, uh, yeah, we've experienced that before, so we'll be fine. Big incentive, obviously, to uh, retain your title and uh, secure those um, lucrative, uh, well, that lucrative position in the uh, Club World Cup. Yeah, we'll see. We hope so. I mean, we hope that we're going to be all right. I think uh, we know what we have to do. We know what kind of game we're expecting. Uh, we're in a similar situation probably the last year, but obviously playing away is not the same as playing at home, but in terms of the score, it's the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're going to play for the win. You know, try, try to play play for a win and hopefully he's caught an away goal and that will change things, you know. 
In terms of the score from that first league, obviously the 2-1 and the away goal from uh, Tafana, does that influence how you've been preparing and, and how you're going to play in that second league? Well, I mean, of course. I mean, had it been different, uh, then maybe we would be able to think in a different way. But right now, the game, the, uh, the the situation is that everything is you know pretty pretty tight. Obviously, they've got a good chance. Uh, they got an away goal, and uh, we we can't really sit on that score. Although we we never play that way, but if there were any you know possibilities to to sit on a score, it's not it's not the case right now. That's a good thing in some respects. You know, we need to go up there, prepare ourselves to to win a game, you know, the same way as we always prepare and uh, try to play the same way, you know, our style, try to try to dominate the game, try to have more position than them and hopefully, you know, create the chances. But, yeah, obviously it's going to be very hard because they, they know that mentally they, they've got a they've got an opportunity, a good opportunity as well. They're playing at home, they're playing on their own surface and they're used to it, uh, which is, you know, probably a slight advantage they've got. What do Tefana do well as a team? They defend pretty well, uh, and in those uh, one-on-one situations, they're very strong, really difficult to overcome. They're very good in the air, and uh, yeah, they just try to hit the teams on the counter-attack. So for the way we play, they if they can pinch the ball out of us, you know, we obviously we're going to have to defend those situations well. But they can play in different ways, you know, because they've got players in position, you know, able to keep the ball and players to, that are good in the air. Uh, they've got a couple of players up front they can score. They're technically very, you know, very capable. So overall, it's a good team. And uh, obviously playing in their own environment, they're going to be even more dangerous than uh, what they were here. The winner of the O-League will represent Oceania at the Club World Cup in Japan later this year. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. New Zealand will take its biggest ever track cycling team to this year's Olympic Games with 15 riders selected for London. The team's built around the cyclists who achieved top three performances at the recent World Championships in Melbourne and is headlined by the men's pursuit team of Jesse Sargent, Mark Ryan, Aaron Gates, Sam Bewley and Wesley Goff. However, the strongest competition for selection came in the men's sprint group that won two bronze medals in Melbourne with only three spots available. They went to Ethan Mitchell, Eddie Dawkins and Simon van Velthoven. Joe Porter caught up with Dawkins at the Millennium Institute on the North Shore as he prepared for a couple of months in Europe ahead of the Olympics. Head home for a wee bit of a break. Well, not a break, but a break from camp. And there's another camp starting on the 20th of this month and then um, we head away on the 14th of June. So we head to Valencia for a month and then into Bordeaux to meet the rest of the team, the extended team, and then at the last minute we fly into London and just raise havoc. You must be uh, pretty ready to get over to Europe. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's not too bad weather up here, but down in Vicargo it's pretty chilly, so it'd be good to pack some summer clothes and head over to Spain, yeah. So we're likely to see you with a bit more of a tan come Olympics time then? I hope so, I don't want to be this pasty at the Olympics, especially with everyone else being really tan, so I hope I can get a few hours in the sun. Had some pretty promising results over in Melbourne. Do you guys realistically see yourselves as a medal chance? Oh, definitely. You know, anything anything can happen on the day, and we've just shown in the last two years we're just going up and up and up. You know, and um, yeah, with, with some good training and a, and a good environment, you know, anything's possible. Is this your first Olympics? Yeah, it is my first Olympics here. Obviously, looking forward to that and all the the grandeur that comes with it. Oh yeah, but you got to put that on the back burner until after you've raced. You know, you can celebrate being at the Olympics after you've finished racing, and you can let your hair down a wee bit and. And um, you know, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the moment. But until until my race is finished, it's just like another race. 
So when did you realise or when did you think that the Olympics would be a realistic goal for you personally? Um, well, I thought as soon as the sprint programme started a couple of years ago that we were definitely at a big, a big shot, especially because we started out quite small and then we expanded and shrunk and expanded again. So, yeah, back, back two years ago I was, I was, I was pulling for a, for a medal and a chance to go to the Olympics. Obviously, uh, you've all come together to form form the team. Do you feel like you've you've gelled together nicely, and all that's developing well? Oh, definitely. You know, sometimes we're personalities, butt heads, you know, but that's just boys being boys. So yeah, we all we all mesh together. And we all push each other as hard as we can go. So at the end of the day, it's three riders that, that are going to ride the the team sprint. One going to ride the sprint. One's going to ride the Kieran, and there's five of us. So everyone's pushing everyone to improve themselves. Yeah. Is obviously that competition's a good thing in your mind. Oh, definitely. With that competition, that competition, you just get complacent. You know. And you're just you're just plateau, and we need to be we need to be pushing to step up all the time. So yeah, competition's great. Ethan's the starter. What's your role in the team? Uh, my role originally was the anchor man, the last man in the team sprint. But as of Simon Van Veldhoven's exploits at the Worlds, I've been bumped down to second wheel. So a little bit of a change in um, in uh, training for me, but it's all it's all the same on the day. You feel like you'll be fine in that position. The training like is not too different. Oh no, it's just it's just one spot down closer to the bottom of the track, you know, and one less lap, which is always good. And how important is the team aspect? Will the better team beat the better individuals if they don't link together? Definitely. If a yeah, a team a team team of individuals is going to go badly against an individual team. So if you've got three guys that are butting heads and aren't really gelling and they ride together, they're not going to produce an optimal performance compared to a team that trains together over an extended period of time. And obviously the guys are pretty well grounded, being from New Zealand, that's probably a nice thing when you're going into these sorts of events. Oh definitely, you know, it's just another race for us, we've been, been all over the world racing in really bad places and really good places, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just another race. And Invercargill, tell me a little bit about your base down there, it's interesting being at the, the bottom of the, the South Island and obviously where you're from. Yeah, well it is the bottom of the South Island, but it's also the centre of cycling for New Zealand at the moment. Um, Without that track, I wouldn't be here. So I'm very thankful to the IOT and and Southland for putting that track together for us. So yeah, it's it's cold, but you know it's my home. Is there a time that you guys are aiming for that you think will be good enough for a medal in London? Uh, we're, just, we're aiming to just just to go faster than we've gone before. We we broke the 44 second barrier at Worlds this year two times. So we hope to to bump from the high 43s to the low 43s. So low 43s was um, first and second at the Worlds this year. So that's the time we're aiming for. And uh, competition-wise, who do you think will be the biggest threats come August in London? Oh, there's always the the big, the big, massive Germans, and uh, the French are always very fast, and the Australians and Brits are always up there. So, I think it's us top five that are battling for those three medals. Yeah. And obviously, rubbing shoulders with all the other athletes in the Olympic Village, guys like Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps. Is there anyone you'd like to bump into in particular? Well, yeah. Before racing, I want to sort of keep focused and keep away from everything, away from all the or the chaos, but yeah, Usain Bolt would be a cool person to meet, just considering he's the fastest he's the fastest man in the world ever, and so far I'm the fastest ever Kiwi, so it'd be cool to gel and see what he thinks, yeah. Fastest ever Kiwi, that's a nice title to have. Well, yeah, hopefully I can hold on to it for a while. First under nine, first under ten's pretty cool, though. Coming back to New Zealand, they'll have a parade, it would be nice if you had a medal. Yeah, or uh, just put the icing on the KK. Going the Olympics is one thing, but taking out a medal is what we're there for. That's sprint cyclist Eddie Dawkins talking to Joe Porter. The England netball international Jade Clark has certainly made the right choice. Two years ago, the mid-quarter was playing for the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic in the Trans-Tasman netball competition, but this time she's with the Northern Mystics. The Magic have made the playoffs each year of the competition, but have been distinctly out of form this year. 
with the Mystics, the current leading New Zealand side in the competition, in third place. Clark played only a few games for the Magic in 2010, but she's been relishing the opportunity of an entire season in New Zealand. Every match feels like an international, like with the big crowds and the atmosphere, so I'm just really relishing the opportunity and um, I'm loving playing with the girls and a new style and some new coaching and it'll be good and hopefully I'll go back with some new skills to take home to my England team. How does it compare to what you might find back in England? Well, I think because it's semi-professional over here and it's completely amateur at home, it just gives you a lot more opportunity to train. Um, every session out here is coached uh, and I'm training with the team and you've, you've got that time to train, whereas at home, everyone in our Super League at home will have full-time jobs, so they won't have as much time to get into the gym and get those sessions done, even though you know we're all really dedicated at home. And um, So it's pretty similar to our international our international sessions, the intensity, you know, international plays at home, we, we get loads of support, but we'll next level down the girls that are playing in Super League are not getting that support. So over here, there's just a lot more depth. So every week you're playing against people that are training just as hard as you are. So it's depth right across the board. What about the profile of the competition? Oh, yeah, massive, massive difference. Um, and that's something we're really working on at home to, to get that ball into the media and... We're, we've got a few ideas at home of how, like, causes the England players can be better role models and get ourselves out there. But, um, yeah, I think it's amazing how the Kiwis love the game over here. Like, you're walking down the street and people recognise you and want to talk to you about the game. And that's just everyone's so welcoming and they just love the netballers and put them on a pedestal. And I think that's amazing for a female-dominated sport and it's something that we're fighting for at home and we want to get home, definitely. Does it take some adjusting to? Not really. I think... Um, we, all the English girls, we love the attention, so that, uh, we, we're enjoying that. And and it's yeah, it's definitely it's different um, reading in the in the paper every week. But you know, when we come out here with the England team, that's what we get, and and that's what we enjoy really. Yeah. You must be pleased you've ended up at the Mystics as opposed to the Magic this time. Oh, I, w- I wouldn't say that. They're both um, quality quality sides. I, I think Magic gave me an amazing opportunity um, to come into their side at such a late time and I just took so much from playing with Laura and Casey and the people around me and just amazing players and and um, I won't count the magic out, out just yet I think they're going to come back strong and, uh, and that's that's going to be a they'll be targeting us next time they play us so we've got to really bring our A game next time we play them. Presumably it's surprised you as much as it has everyone else their, their start to this season Yeah but it's, it's a long competition I mean um, and I think Magic are a team that they play really well under pressure. When when I played for them, um, where the first match we played, we lost by like 17 goals against the Swiss. And the next time we played them in a playoff situation, we beat them. So they play well under pressure, and they've got that experience with the the silver friends that they've got and the the youthful exuberance that they've got to, to come back strong. Definitely, so definitely won't count them out. Earlier, you mentioned there about taking things back to English netball. What kind of things do do you look to go back and, and pass on to, to players in England? Um, I think probably the training intensity and, well, I think we have that in a national squad, but the, the physicality of the match play, because that's something I wanted to get from coming out here, is um, just getting used to that physicality, and, and that's because that's how it is when you get to international level, and sometimes it hits us quite hard, and it's a bit of a shock when we go from playing our domestic competition. So 
that's something I want to bring into training when I get home and um, yeah just just the uh, amount we're training over here and how consistently we train and I think that's what we're striving for at home and um, we're we're making strides to to all train together more and and yeah there'll be some changes at home that will enable us to do that. Is that something you are able to take back though without players actually having experienced it for themselves? Even though we're over here, you know, doing our thing and getting uh, experience as individuals, um, our new coach, Anna Mays, and assistant coach, Maggie Jackson, are doing everything at home to recreate what we're getting out here. So they're, they're putting them under pressure every session. Um, so people are missing out from, from not being over here. And it, well, at home, it's something you have to recreate in your international sessions. You can't get it as much from your Super League sessions. So that's why... At home, the England team will meet up a lot more than the Silver Ferns and the Diamonds will over here because you can't get you can't get what you can what you need from your, your your club teams at home. So you just have to meet more, and it it does mean at home we we do a lot more travelling and we meet up as a team more. But it's worth it in the end because we need to recreate that pressure for ourselves rather than having to come over here. Are there more and more English players looking to to come out and and have an opportunity in, in the likes of the the Trans Tasman competition? Um, I think. Every year the want has been there. There's, I think a lot of us would have jumped at the chance over the last few years. But I think um, the, the fact that there's I think six of us out here now just shows that the improvements we're making at home as individuals. And um, we just need to, to put that improvement out on the court as a team because we're, we really want to move up from third place. We want to be right up there and we want to start beating Australia and New Zealand. I suppose with more and more players coming out too, though, that maybe the aura that surrounds the likes of the New Zealand side and the Australian side falls away a bit and realise yeah. that you can compete. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I first got into the England squad as an 18-year-old, you kind of put Australia and New Zealand on a pedestal and like the more and more you play them, you realise you know, they're only human, they make mistakes just like us and there are ways to, to beat them even though, even though you know, they've been winning for years and years and years. There are ways we can we can beat them, it's, and it's and it's, it's helping just to play against them week in week out, and feeling that pressure that we feel when we get to international competition. So it all helps. The Northern Mystics play the Southern Steel in Auckland on Sunday. While pleased with their second place effort on the sixth leg of the Volvo Round the World Yacht Race, the skipper of Team New Zealand's entry camper Chris Nicholson admits there's also an element of frustration. The American boat Puma arrived in Miami just over an hour before camper after Camper had closed to within a few hundred metres of the lead over the final 24 hours. The result, though, means that Camper remains in contention for overall race honours. Nicholson says the crew is now looking forward to a well-earned rest after having little break at the end of the fifth leg in Brazil. The last leg, last leg was a pretty tough leg for us in terms of breaking the boat, repair time and then turnaround time in Itajai. You know, we're, we're there... Well, they're almost 10 days behind everyone else. So I'm um, very happy with the way the whole team, shore team, sailing team, management, pulled together and made it happen so we could come here in good shape. I mean, second spot, does that surprise you or are you a little frustrated that it didn't quite pit Puma to the line? Well, you know, you're always, you're always frustrated with that because your, your aim at the, at the end of the day is to win the race. But, uh, you know, like we, we saw a lot of good things. I think we saw a lot of good things from both teams, like in terms of strategy, speed, able to push the boats. Like it was pretty similar. There was a lot of close racing. I remember, that, you know, one or two days there where we are just knocking it out, scared for scared, against Puma and Telefonica. 
and um, and just seriously, you know, we've a lot of sail area up in a lot of breeze running, and uh, and just just wondering who would crack first, and we kind of all we all all fared pretty well out of it. How mentally taxing has it been with all the stop starting that you guys are doing? Um, yeah, you know, like, and, and to be honest with you, we had a certain amount of needing to get here to have a, have a bit of a break as well going on. So, um, and then, you know, for the race just to drag out, drag out, drag out, uh, you know, always fearful then of potentially, you know, a light air park up and you're losing losing a position that you've fought and defended so well for so long um, and you know luckily that didn't happen to either us or Puma um, and and you know some very very deserving results and tell us about chasing a boat while also having to look over your shoulder at the boats chasing you is that quite a difficult <laughs> thing to to do as well well you know you're always weighing up you know you're always wondering how far the rubber band stretching in between you know first and second second and third and you just you know, yes, or even when we had a 100-mile lead over third and fourth, there was still the potential we stop in a park-up. You know, they continue around us. They can be around you in, like, five, six hours. So it's never over, but, um, but you know, but you're, you're in the controlling position for sure. And just quickly, how do you assess this last sprint back to Europe and Galway? I think it's like, like a lot of the skippers always said, that it, that it will be close, this race. Um, you know, I'm hoping it comes down to the wire in Galway. And that's camper skipper Chris Nicholson bringing us to the end of extra time for another week. I'm Stephen Hewson. On behalf of the Radio New Zealand sport team, bye for now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,